terrible oppression. The wicked rich oppressing God's people. And the church in this world is an oppressed people. And so from verse 7 on, you have, first of all, patience that is necessary, and then prayer. So we're going to begin our reading at verse 7, James 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto, or because, the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruits of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and ye have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but that your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. And now our text. Is any of you, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent, Prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word again this evening. Oppressed, afflicted. God sovereignly in that affliction and oppression. And so we are called to be patient. Patient because we know this oppression lasts for maybe 70 or 80 or maybe 90 plus years. But what is that span compared to eternity? Be patient because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming and going to be, make all things new and he is going to reward his saints who are caused to suffer for his sake. And now this evening in our pericope of scripture we're called to prayer for the effectual, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Is that your attitude toward prayer? You have that assurance in your heart and therefore you pour out your heart to the Lord. Or do we sometimes just go through the motions, we use the same phrases without thinking about it too much or maybe even doubting if it's going to help. Our pericope of scripture begins with, is any among you afflicted? 
let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. Yes, in our troubles, in our oppression, in our hurts, let us run to God's throne of grace to find that with God there is a very present help in trouble. So prayer in affliction, beginning with why pray in affliction. Second of all, the call to the elders of the church. And thirdly, then, the effectualness of those fervent prayers, either of ourselves or others for us. Pray in afflictions. That word afflictions is translated in some versions, sufferings. And what it's really speaking about is evil treatment that the church of Christ Jesus receives in this world. So it's not really physical illness that is being described here, because later on we read, is any sick? Let him call for the elders. It's not really physical illness. That word for sick later on is used eight time, 18 times in the New Testament. 14 times it refers to emotional or spiritual distress. Enduring evil treatment by people. Persecuted. Abused by treated wickedly. Those afflictions of stressing and strenuous circumstances are often the lot of God's people here in this world. And how and what do we do when those hardships strike us? What is the first thing we do or what is the first thing we say when trouble comes? Do we become angry and upset? Do we respond like Job's wife did? Curse God and die. May it not be those angry outbursts and may it not be oaths or blasphemy there are those who endure trouble in their life and they say, if that's what God gives me, who needs God? And they turn away. Varied are the reactions of different people. We are all different, aren't we? I remember the story of a man whose son was killed in an automobile accident. And he screamed and he yelled in his pain. There was another member in the church who saw that, who heard that, and he was shaking his head. How can he do that? How can he do that when we have that hope that is ours? Not until we're in that person's position do we know whether it's copious tears that come from our eyes or screams from our lungs crying out to God for help for comfort, for peace. And so the calling of God's people in this passage now, and it is a command, isn't it? We read there, is any of you afflicted? Let him pray. That's, that's not just an option. It's not saying this might be good for you. Let him pray. Prayer is essential. Prayer is essential because God is the source of comfort. And as we read in peace and, and first Peter, cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he careth for you. What a comfort. Not grumble, not despair. Not first of all thinking, well, I better get medical attention or whatever is going to help me out. Is any of you afflicted? Let him pray. Because all these things, not only the pleasant things, but also the adverse things,
things. They are from God's hand. God is sovereign. Nothing happens to us by chance. Whether it be an illness, or whether it be the oppression of wicked men, and we really don't even know that kind of persecution, do we? You and I don't, aren't afraid of carrying a Bible around in our hands. You and I don't have to be afraid of witnessing to our neighbor. You and I don't have to be afraid of coming to church, or what the government's going to do. But all of that, whether it is the relative peace that we have, although ridicule here in America, or the affliction that takes place in many different nations, those things are from God's hand. God's hand which is wise, God's hand which is good, God's hand which is strong. And God uses these things to draw us closer to himself. And that's why the psalmist is able to say, and we sing in one of our Psalter numbers, affliction is for my profit. For when things don't go well, how, when everything's going well, it's so easy for us to kind of forget about God. And that's why Augur in the Proverbs also says, give me not Plenty, bounty, nor poverty. Lest when I, everything is going good, I forget about God. Or if I'm very poor, I steal or become angry with God. All of our lives are directed by God, planned by God. And yes, it is God who brings us through these afflictions also for our good. Because affliction has a way of making our hearts humble. Who of us can control our health? Isn't it some of the healthiest people that are exercising and all of a sudden they come down with cancer rather than the person that doesn't take their health very well? Affliction has the way of making our hearts contrite. What are we dealing with? Where are we going to look? Who is our help and who is our strength? And afflictions have a way of making us then much more dependent upon God day by day by day. Think a moment of David in the affliction after his terrible sin of adultery his little son, sick. And for seven days he would not rise up from his knees, he would not eat, begging the Lord for life. And when the child died, his servants were afraid to tell him, what's he going to do then? But when David hears, he gets up, he washes and he eats. He laid it before the Lord, begging for life for his son, and the Lord said, no, that was the answer. And now David goes on with his life. What examples we have in the scriptures of prayer for that kind of help. And you'll notice when it says, is any afflicted, let him pray. It is in the present tense and in the Greek language there, let him pray has the idea of a continual praying, not just once. The errorist in the past is once. But here, let him pray, it means let him pray day by day. Let him pray from moment from moment, from hour to hour. Let him not, let him not stop hitting heaven's doors with those prayers. There is King Manasseh. We read in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 11, he, has, he was one of the worst kings of Judah, Hezekiah's son. 
And we read there that the Lord brought upon Manasseh and the people the host of the king of Assyria. In verse 12, then, and when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Notice, the God of his fathers. And he prayed unto him, and he was entreated by him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh, we read, knew that the Lord, he was God. We can thank God that Manasseh was greatly afflicted, taken into captivity, because God used that to cause him to repent and to turn to the Lord. Oh, you and I might have sons and daughters or members in our family who have left the church or despair of the church. We should pray for them. Pray for them that the Lord will bring them under such an affliction that they don't know where else to turn. And then they finally turn to the God of their fathers and are healed, are delivered from their sins. Our boys and girls, you remember that story from Catechism of King Hezekiah when he is confronted with Sennacherib's blasphemous letter. What did he do? We read in 2 Kings chapter 19, and Hezekiah received a letter of the hand of the messengers, and he read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. Lord, bow down thine ear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see and hear. Now therefore, O Lord, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand. And God then sent the prophet Amos to tell him, that which thou hast prayed to me, I have heard. Or when Jonah, the prophet, is going the wrong way, running in the opposite direction of where the Lord had told him to go, to Nineveh, he prays from the belly of the fish. We read in Jonah chapter 2, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee. Salvation is of the Lord. And boys and girls, you remember, don't you, dramatically, then the fish vomited up Jonah on the beach. God delivered him in his prayers. And instead of running away from the Lord, Jonah went to Nineveh as God directed him. Or in the Psalms, how often isn't David in affliction praying? We read in Psalm 61, the first two verses, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. But besides all those different saints, keep in mind the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane facing the cross. And we read in Luke 22 that he prayed. Jesus kneeled down and he prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And what happened? God sent an angel to strengthen him. An angel from heaven came down and strengthened him. We read, after he prayed that time, he prayed again even more earnestly. So what do we pray for? What does our prayer consist of? Notice, number one, it should not be, first of all, to get rid of the affliction. That usually is our reaction. Oh, Lord... <laughs> I don't want this illness or I don't want this ridicule at work or I don't want to suffer this or that. Why not ask God for 
first of all, deliverance from the affliction? Because sometimes God wants to teach us something. The Apostle Paul. We read there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he had that thorn in the flesh. And we read, for this thing I, be I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's what we should be praying for, isn't it? Not right away, take away this suffering, this oppression that I have. But Lord, give me the grace to stand up in it. Not to flee away, but to look. And in my weakness to be made strong in faith. We need to ask God, second of all, for wisdom. Heavenly wisdom to act and to speak wisely. Think a moment of Job over against his wife. She says, curse God and die. While Job is wise in his suffering, he says, the Lord has given and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or he says, I know that with my eyes I shall see him. May we be able to suffer then in silence. To remember, boys and girls, David, when he has to run for his life, and yes, those are because of the sins in his family, Absalom is seeking his life. And as he's fleeing for his life, he is assailed by Shimei, cursed. And so Abishai wants to take off the head of Shimei, and David says, no, 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 no. Why? I deserve that. I deserve that. The sins that I have committed, the family troubles that I'm going through, now fleeing from Absalom, I deserve that. That's God shaming me for my sin. We ask God for the strength to bear up under the burden so that Others see it, and we may be a good witness to them. I don't know how many different times I hear the story when I go to the hospital to visit those who are sick. The other person in the bed near to them are listening. They are watching. What is our reaction when we're very sick or we've got troubles in our family? The world's watching. Are we like Job's wife? Or do we bear up with it patiently, with strength? Praising God for all that he does do for us. We pray then also for good cheer. So that when we ha cry out from our troubles, in our affliction, we pray. And then in verse 13, is any Mary? Let them sing psalms. When we bring our troubles to the Lord, when we roll over those burdens to the Lord, we're not carrying them anymore. And we are thankful. We sing psalms. I think of that hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I didn't write down all those stanzas, but are we weary and heavy laden? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Look maybe at home at some of those beautiful stanzas. Is any afflicted? Let him pray. Not making foolish decisions. Not speaking foolish words. But reading God's word, drawing near to him. We read in... Psalm 119, verse 98. Thou thoroughly commandest, or thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. Pray for wisdom. How do we deal with that person that is persecuting, ridiculing you? 
Do we call them names back? If they slap you, do you slap them back? That's our natural inclination, isn't it? I'll get even. Let him pray. Oh, we need that wisdom to deal with our afflictions. James 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. Is any afflicted? Let him pray. That brings me to a second point there then, where we read, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Negatively, that's a much disputed passage of God's word. Disputed today about divine healing. There is divine healing, but there are not divine healers. We don't have that ability to say a word like Peter or John did or the other disciples or Christ and suddenly a person's all well. There are quacks who hawk for attention and for money. I'll do this for you if you pay me this much. The Roman Catholic Church uses verses 14 and 15 to support their sacrament of extreme unction. Go quickly to the person that is dying, say a prayer over them, and sprinkle them with some holy oil so that they are prepared for the next life. There are still others who refuse the means of healing that God has given, such as physicians or medicine or hospital facilities and they say you just need faith and if you're not healed you just don't have enough faith faith will heal you those are wrong explanations of this passage each one of us as sinners need the savior whether it be those who are sick in the body, they need the physicians. We read that in Matthew chapter 9 also. And of course, our real physician is the Lord Jesus. And yes, we do pray then also for those who are sick. That the Lord will use then doctors and nurses and medicine to diagnose what is wrong and if possible, if it's the Lord's will, to give healing. But positively, the sickness there in verse 14 that we read about is not talking about physical ailments. Is any sick among you? Why do we know that? Well, because that word sick is often used for weakness or spiritual weakness or illness. Defeated, perhaps, in a spiritual battle. Or lacking the ability in, to endure the struggle. Weary of life, perhaps depressed, defeated. They have lost motivation for living and maybe even falling into sinful attitudes, they've hit the, bottle, the bottom and perhaps want to even take their life. That is what that word sick means here, oppressed by others, so that one says it's not worth living any longer. And for that, then, they are to call the elders... 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. And we exhort you, brethren, this is Paul writing now to the elders, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Or again, we read in Galatians 6, verse 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, 
Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now you say, Pastor, how do you know that that word sick in verse 14 is not a physical ailment, but rather it is a spiritual ailment, which I mentioned that whole list, defeated weakness, lacking ability to endure suffering, fallen spiritually, exhausted, weary, depressed, defeated, lacking motivation. And that comes in verse 15. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. We don't have a promise in the Bible that if one is physically sick and you pray about it, the Lord will surely heal you of that sickness. He didn't these past weeks, did he? We don't have that kind of assurance. But this is a promise here. When the elders are called, bringing God's word to give strength, and they pray to God that God will help that person who is oppressed, who is weary, who has lost motivation in his life, who is depressed. That prayer of faith shall save that sick person, will give strength to that fallen person, will give grace to those who are despairing, strength to those who are weary. And the Lord will raise him up by those means of the elders bringing the word of God and prayer of faith. Notice, first, in God's word it says here, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. That means, first of all, it is the sick person who must call for the elders. The elders and the pastor don't have that kind of knowledge of what kind of oppressions or motivating things or depression that are hurting you. We're not clairvoyant. We need you to call us. There are some who get sick or are despairing and then they wonder why the pastor or the elders don't call on them. Well, did they know? We can't know. Call the elders. Why call the elders? Because this person that has that burden in their soul, they can't hardly pray anymore. They've lost that motivation to pray. They're so depressed they don't know what to pray So it's your responsibility to call then for the elders of the church even as it's the duty then of the elders and the pastor to visit them. And what is the benefit of these elders coming and reading and praying with them? The benefit is it relieves, first of all, loneliness. That person isn't all alone. None of us is all alone. Christ is with us, and we have our fellow brothers and sisters to stand right upside next to us. What a comfort that is. There is the benefit of encouragement from Scripture that the promises of God's Word are held before that person who is despondent or discouraged or tired and they cling to those promises. And there is those precious prayers. Prayers that are offered up according to the will of God, praying for what God commands us to pray for and they are heard by God. Now notice, and notice with me, well, the elders don't have the healing powers. The pastor doesn't have the healing power. It only rests upon him whom the elders call upon in Jesus' name, namely the God of our salvation. 
Let him call for the elders of the church, we read, and let them pray over him. And now this little phrase, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. What in the world is that? Actually, the word translated in our English Bible, anointing, could be better translated rubbing them with oil. Rubbing them with oil. Now, the pastor and the elders don't carry around with them a little bottle of oil in their pockets. The oil there in the Old Testament was kind of a healing ointment, but it was external, wasn't it? It's not the oil that really heals, but it is, verse 15, the prayer of faith. Notice, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save them, and the Lord will raise them up. And you all remember well, probably, that oil in the Old Testament is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so when you have the oil dripping over Aaron's beard and over his garments and his shoes, it is him being filled with the Spirit, being that spiritual leader to God's people, interceding for them. And yes, it is the Holy Spirit that helps us in our affirmities. So that times when we can't, don't feel like praying anymore, Maybe we don't think it helps, or we're so depressed, distressed, weakened. The Holy Spirit prays for us. What an intercessor he is. The Lord will raise up those who are weak. He will awaken them from their despondency, and he will arouse them so that then they can sing up, sing psalms unto the Lord. Is any sick among you? Call the elders, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Sins. Lack of faith in the Lord. Doubting instead of faith. Maybe even getting angry with the Lord in some of our troubles if a child is taken away from us or a spouse is taken away from us. Those sins also are taken away by our God. You see, there is a relationship between affliction and sin. It is many times in Scripture that God chastens with sickness because there are those who are walking in sin. How many times didn't the Lord afflict Israel as God's people and her king because of their sins and he brings problems against them, evil nations against them. But always being careful as God's people. Be careful lest we become like the judgmental friends of Job. Oh, this person is afflicted this way. Oh, this person is even thinking about suicide. What a terrible person they must be. No. What sin did they do? No. There is sin generally in this world. And because of sin in this world, there are the afflictions that come to a fallen world, including sickness and pain and trouble and death. And we may not then say, oh brother, there must be something seriously wrong in your life like those three supposed friends of Job. At times, at times God may afflict us Merely, merely to reveal his power and his glory. Isn't that, boys and girls, don't you remember that story about the man who was born blind? 38 years. And the disciples asked, why was that man born blind? Was it his sin or was it the parents' sin? No, Jesus says, no, not at all. 
This man was born blind and was blind for 38 years so that at the moment that Christ crosses his path, God is going to make, or Christ Jesus is going to make an illustration how he has the power to heal, heal those with physical blindness and also heal those with spiritual blindness. Think of that a moment. You say, why is that fear? Why, that's not nice. No, it's difficult. 38 years that man was blind, but how wonderful here in the scripture he is still known as that one who is used by Jesus Christ to show that those who are blind are given sight by the Lord Jesus. And now we mean that spiritually, for we too were all blind, weren't we, spiritually? But we are given sight to behold Christ Jesus by faith. We were deaf. We could not hear what the Spirit has to say, but he opens our ears. We were dumb. We could not speak, but our tongues are loosened. We were lame and halt, but we are able now to run in the way of his commandments. Or think a moment of the Apostle Paul. Three times he besought the Lord regarding his affliction, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to afflict him. God says, no. That's exactly the way you're going to be the best messenger of mine. Because in your weakness, my strength is shown. My grace is all sufficient. And that's why the Apostle Paul would even boast. He would boast of his illness, of his struggles, because when he was weak, he was made strong in faith. How wonderful. How wonderful. Each one of us, you and I, need to examine ourselves because we are all sinners, aren't we? And so verse 16, he says now to his audience, Confess your faults to one another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Do we dare do that? There was a pastor in my old denomination, he'd say, before I go to one of my fellow pastors in the denomination, I'd go to the Roman Catholic priest. Because at least the Roman Catholic priest wouldn't spread it to anyone else. Isn't that a danger that we sometimes fall into? I don't dare to mention what I'm going through with this rebellious child of mine. I don't dare to speak to anyone about this sinful desire that I have in my heart. We're afraid that they're going to tell everyone else. Shame on us if we are so guilty of slander and gossiping that we can't, as brothers and sisters, go to one another Confess the struggles, the sins that we're going through and ask them to pray for us and be empathetic with one another. And how wonderful then, what healing when we confess our sins one to another, we are forgiven. A mutual confession, not running to a priest. We got a sympathetic high priest in heaven but coming to one another and saying, I need your help. Pray with me. Make me accountable to you, to someone of what I'm doing in my life. That brings me thirdly, my beloved, to the third point. The effectualness of this fervent prayer. God's word says with this prayer, notice, of faith. Not just using phrases, not going through the formality of closing, folding our hands and closing our eyes. But prayer from the heart, entreating our God, the God of our salvation, it is effectual. That is the promise in verse 15. This healing shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. Whatever sins 
that are causing us to be so discouraged or to be filled with anxiety or any host of physical ailments. This healing might be the comfort that God's grace is sufficient or that the Lord is near to us when we call upon him or it is deliverance from that sin that we are prone to fall into. We all have some kind of besetting sin that we fall or see ourselves falling into, and then we pray to God for forgiveness, and then sure enough, a next day or a week later, you fall into the same sin again. Isn't that the sin of the drunkard or any other thing that has a claim on our life? Quite often, physical health and spiritual health are closely related, isn't it? As we become sick in our bodies, then we also become very weak and tired, and so often we're bombarded by Satan. He knows when to hit us, when we're weak, when we're hurting. The effectual prayer. What a beautiful word that is, effectual. It takes effect. There are results that come. And taught to us in the scriptures is that prayer then is God's divinely ordained means whereby God's children receive his blessings. Is your life rather barren at times? Then let me ask, are you a praying person? Are you in the morning and are you in the evening clinging to God and say, Lord, I want my Christian faith to be stronger. I want my Christian witness to be more blatant out there for people to see and behold. Are you praying for it? And notice with me over against those who say prayer changes God. If we only pray enough, then God will do what we want. No, prayer doesn't change God. God's eternal purpose and counsel will be carried out. But prayer changes us. For we recognize our weakness, our sinfulness, and our need for the deliverer, and we turn to him. And God is pleased to give us what we need, not what we think we want, what we need, what he knows what we need. And that's why James brings before his audience an Old Testament saint, does he? Elijah was a man just like us. Don't put him on some big pedestal. He was a man like us. And yes, like us at times, he could become very discouraged also. Remember when he's underneath that juniper tree and he wants to die. Take my life, he says. I'm no better than anyone else. But he prayed. And he prayed in faith. Lord, may it not rain until God's people recognize and turn from their wickedness. That was a daring prayer. There would be a lot of widows and others in Israel that would perish physically, die from hunger. But whatever the remedy necessary for that people to turn from their sins, he prayed and it rained not for three and a half years. That sun blazing in the sky every day. If you think it's been hot here, it was hotter there. And some of you have clay in your fields. That clay gets hard and there's big cracks in it and nothing grows. And when there's finally the people saying, the Lord, he is God, Jehovah, he is God, Elijah again prays, and he prays, and he prays seven times, and there's a little cloud in the air. Full of faith, he says to Ahab, get home quickly, 
The rain is coming. And the Lord sent rain. Powerful prayers. How does prayer help you and me? When we take our sins, when we take our troubles and we throw them or we roll them over to the Lord, we're not carrying them any longer, are we? And then we can be merry and we can sing psalms to God. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Filled with a joyful attitude. Pleading for comfort. Singing praise to God for the comfort given. Submission. God's will is good like the Lord Jesus. Take this cup away, Lord, if it be thy will, but thy will be done. How wonderful that the Lord does deliver us. And the sins that cause us to doubt or to fear or to turn away from the Lord, they are graciously also forgiven. Pray, beloved, pray for one another. Pray for those who are grieving in this week. Pray for those who have illnesses and can't be here tonight. Pray for those who perhaps have sins that they're fighting so much against. Think especially of those who are abusers in the church. Pray for them that the Lord will turn their hearts from their sin to a true repentance that is demonstrated. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the encouragement to prayer given here in this epistle, written by James to the congregations in his day, but by the Holy Spirit also coming to the church today. Make us, O Lord, a praying people, clinging to thy promises, looking to thy help, totally dependent, not on self, not on others, but on our God in Christ Jesus. And then we will sing psalms unto thee. Amen.